Welcome to Cinema 7. Uh, I'm Mario B. I'm your host today. With me is Chris Hawk. Hello. John is absent because he has to go do things and be a superhero. <laughs> With us today uh, is a special guest. Now, in here, here on Cinema 7, we like to have very casual conversations. We like to make new friends. Uh, and we're happy to have this person be a part of that journey. And uh, welcome, Chris Megan, to the, to the call. Hi, how are you guys? Chris McGinn, I'm here and happy to be here. I'm so sorry I mispronounced that. Okay, don't worry. <laughs> Baby steps, start somewhere, right? As we said, very casual. Yes. <laughs> Chris and Chris and Mario is cool. Uh, she's our guest of honor this episode. Uh, she's an actress. She's in uh, the movie Kidnap with Halle Berry. She's in some of your Netflix favorites like Jessica Jones. Orange is the New Black. Uh, and most importantly, she's an animal lover, like us. Definitely. Most definitely. So you worked with uh, the likes of Halle Berry, John Cheadle, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, to name a few that you know people might recognize. Uh, and of course, Lou um, Temple uh, from Unstoppable. I love that movie. Uh, He's the greatest guy. I just got a text from him today, actually. Really? That's so cool. Yeah. Keep in touch, that kidnap crew. It was very small, so <laughs> so we kept in touch for over the two hour. We had uh, three years of waiting for the movie to come out, so we, we bonded. Oh, wow. <laughs> it really took three years for Kidnap to come out? Well, it took three years because the movie got made in 14, in November 14. It was supposed to come out that next year, and then... We were part of the big relativity bankruptcy. And mm-hmm. so it kept getting postponed because they wanted to put it out and then they had to declare bankruptcy. And so, yeah, it took it took three years and didn't come out until 17. So, I mean, it, are you surprised that it still got a theater run or were, were you surprised? I was surprised because it went through so much, pardon the expression, crap to to get to its uh, release. I was not surprised because Halle Berry herself was so determined to make sure that this movie had some success that even as it was stolen and pirated and all these other things happened, um, she just kept on it to make sure that it got a theatrical release. So I was uh, thrilled. That it didn't get buried on a shelf, as our director, Luis Prieto, would say all the time. If it weren't for Hallie, we would have sat on a shelf, probably. So was uh, Kidnap your first villain role in, an, like, an active, huge part? Yes. It was my first, like, six weeks on a film set playing a lead opposite her. I've had some great jobs with really great directors and actors and had a lot of fun. This was the longest and the biggest because, you know, I'm getting to be a co-star along with her. They build the four of us as the leads, which is, you know, Hallie, Lou Temple, Sage Korea, who's a little boy, and me. So we were the four that got the billing. So that was really cool. That was my first big one. <laughs> my whole f- 
my sorry to interrupt you, Chris Hawk. My whole family loves that movie. By the way, like they, <laughs> they, uh, I, I, I told them I was going to be, uh, we we're going to be talking with you, and like my, my grandmother was like, "Oh my goodness, really? Oh my goodness." <laughs> well, my my uh, my claim to fame from that movie was always that because I'm so horrible in the movie as a bad guy, everybody keeps talking about how you know. She's uh, well, my director, Luis, our director would always say, is it nice, Chris, or is it mean, Margot? Because it was always uh, me being the bad guy in the movie. And yet I'm a really obviously not a killer who kidnaps kids. So um, it was the contrast of the two. So I'm glad your family liked it. I think I think it was a really fun, adventurous movie. And I was kind of bummed at some of the reviews, which I felt were male oriented in the sense that, you know, Liam Neeson can, you know, go chase his kidnapped daughter, but a, a woman can't. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I was kind of bummed, was bummed about that reaction that they wouldn't surrender to the reality for someone like, you know, Halle Berry as an actress, as her character. Were they really saying in reviews that they didn't think it was believable because Halle Berry was doing it? Well, not so much her, but they were saying a woman, you know, a mom wouldn't do all that. That was kind of the 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 critics that I read that were and, you know, not to be, you know, chauvinistic or anything like that. But the male oriented reviews mm-hmm. were very much about, oh, this is ridiculous. And the women, not all of them, but some of them and the women reviews would say, wow, this is cool. A woman finally has a stage. But when a man wrote it, it was always kind of hard to believe. Whereas a guy could do the same thing in a movie and, yeah. you know, there it would be different. So that kind of bummed me out in that respect. But the good news was that Hallie has a name and she mm-hmm. moted it up one side and down the other. So it did really well. And it had a good commercial and all those things that it needs. <laughs> To get it going. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the story behind it. Every, for three years, we literally were like, uh-oh, what now? <laughs> it had like four opening dates. And so that was the other thing that happened in reviews, is that a lot of times they would say, there must be something wrong with this movie if it, you know, has tried to open four times and didn't. But it had nothing to do with the movie. It had to do with the finances behind the movie. You know, with the production company. Yeah, um, it's it's weird that people are saying that because I, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like a mom, especially nowadays, would would uh, in would totally do that. Like my mom, if that ever happened, my mom would totally be the Halle Berry nest scenario. She'd be like, "Oh no, this is my child." No, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's weird. And you bring up that uh, you know, like the Liam Neeson thing, and and uh, there's that mo- that new movie coming out with. Um, What's her name? Gabrielle. Yes. And it's kind of like the the mom fighting back type of thing. And I actually am kind of excited to see that. And I think it's the same thing. It's interesting because the reviews came out last week and I got a couple. I get, you know, the Google alerts. They talk about kidnap. Um, Although a, a little side note for Google, every time someone kidnaps someone, I get a Google alert. <laughs> <laughs> So as opposed to Google, you know, for kidnap the film, I also get it for every kidnap notice or someone mentioning the word. So that's kind of funny. But um, I 
saw the reviews, they compared it to Hallie, you know, and, and our movie, um, immediately, which I'm sure because of the reference, one, it's a woman and two, they're both black. And so they make the comparison to the two films and they liked our film and they felt hers was harder, but it's just interesting to watch the reviewers kind of have to pigeonhole something, you know, two women, two, yeah. two in their family, therefore they're the same movie. <laughs> yeah, it's reviewers are critics and stuff are very weird, like the the big name critics and stuff like that. Um, so, so I got go, a question. Go ahead, Chris Hawk. Yeah. So for your role as Margot, did did you like research female kidnappers or female serial killers or something like that? Because I feel like your character was the mastermind in the movie. That's what I got a feeling for. Is did you do any research? Or what kind of research, or how did you get into the role to be this evil character? Uh, well, I I do think that she is the mastermind. I mean, that is how it was written in the script. And in the script, uh, the script went through a few changes before we actually like went to shoot the film. I um, I personally didn't do a lot of research in the sense that. Because the scenes, the way they were written, and I have a coach, um, a woman, Kate McGregor Stewart, she and I worked on the character, and it just sort of, I don't know if this is a good thing to say, but it sort of came to me naturally. Sometimes that works. And so I, I felt like because each scene was so specific, they sent me three different scenes to audition. The mm -hmm. interesting, one of the interesting things was that they had never met me. I was in New York. They were in L.A., and I got the role through Skype and through video and ended up getting a phone call saying, meet us in New Orleans. So all my auditioning was through just putting it on you know, tape and sending it to them. And so um, for me, it was more about, I tried, my, my research was more about coming up with my own history for her as far as this was going to be her last shot. You know, this was the kind of thing that um, they may have been doing it for a while, but, you know, up to no good. But as it comes to pass, this is going to be the big gig that's going to free them so they don't have to do this anymore. So I really tried to raise her stakes, you know, as Margot in her investment in what was happening. You know, and that was really where my homework came from. I guess I've watched enough Law and Orders and crime dramas to, <laughs> <laughs> to have a sense of that aspect. I just wanted to find what made her unique or personal for me. Does that make sense? It does make sense. You've, you've played a lot of these, uh, like, blue-collar type working characters like a bartender or a waitress and uh you, you know you i feel like for me personally these background characters do a lot for believability in scenes and stuff like that and because um, if a average moviegoer doesn't believe it uh, you know i think they can spot that and something about your acting and kidnap you know to go back to kidnap was very uh, you could believe that was a person in a sense, you know, not, not necessarily uh, you, you know what I mean? Like the. Yes, I hear you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I wanted her to be a real person. 
And I also, you know, I think that part of the advantage of me getting cast in the movie was because you could not have like Melissa McCarthy starring opposite Halle Berry, <laughs> evability factor, you know, or yeah. Rosie O'Donnell or one of those prototypes that I go up for, you right. know, um, Kathy Bates. It's not going to be those women. You needed somebody that people didn't know. And so I felt that that was an advantage for me. I also do feel though, and you know, thanks, I agree with you. A lot of the parts that I get are because they say they're more earthy and they're more real. And I think we live in a time as far as Hollywood is concerned, it is about, you know, the pretty woman. It is about the, you know, the pretty, the pretty skinny girl. And I don't have anything against that at all. I'm just not that. And so they're looking for those places where they can fill it in with the quote, real people. You know, it's like Melissa McCarthy, most of what she does, I know she's doing a movie now that she's filming. It's a serious story, but everything that she's been made famous for has been comedy. And you know what I mean? And, and Pratt Falls and, you know, doing the silly stuff and that's great. And people love that. I just think that there's, sometimes a hard time, like Chrissy Metz on This Is Us, that's um, that's kind of a rarity in the business. So I've been lucky to get a lot of jobs because they feel that I'm real and I am honest. So I appreciate what you're saying. I think it does, you know, take that... Um, that perception, you know, I also think it's New York acting. I don't mean it against, I love LA and I've grown to love it more and more while I was making kidnap. But I think that there's a New York, um, you know, very earthiness about New York actors and doing theater. I did a lot of theater and I coach actors for auditions. And so I think that there's a certain, um, grittiness that I'm not afraid to go to. So that was the thing with Margot. I wasn't afraid to be nice, but I also wasn't afraid to be mean. Because <laughs> I'm clear that that's not me as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm clear who I want her to be and what are her goals and stuff. That's really kind of more where the homework comes through is like my history for the character. You know, where does she come from and what does she need and why is she doing this? That's the, the prep that I did for the movie. So, so you mentioned coaching a lot. So what type, other than dialogue coaching, what type of other coaching do you do for others? Um, I coach people for, as well as, like I mentioned, Kate is my coach. I mm-hmm. coach people for auditions, meaning that um, in this day and age, a lot of like aud- actors are the last minute audition for film or TV, um, mostly sometimes theater, and they're getting a script the day before. And they're having to either self-tape, which means that they have to get someone to put it on tape for them and have an email to send it to with an address where they want it to go, or a live audition where you're going to go in there with your sides, which is the piece of the script that they've given you to audition with, and um, you go in the door and use that for your audition. And I coach a lot of people on that. I also do some career coaching because I've always like kind of prided myself that I'm the quote working actor in the true sense of the word, Mm -hmm. meaning I audition and then I work and then I audition and then I work. 
And so it's not like I'm not necessarily going from job to job all the time, Mm -hmm. but I know how the business works. So I will coach um, actors as well on their um, ability to get a job, like how to get a job or what to do in the business or how can they uniquely put themselves out there. Um, And then I also, I um, am friends with and also work with Marissa Tomei primarily in um, as an actress. We've known each other a long time from acting class and we, I've gone on any sets to help her in learning her lines. So she will coach the acting part of it with Kate McGregor Stewart, the woman I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And then um, she and I will drill lines, help her learn the lines, help her come up with the meaning, give her someone to kind of bounce it off of so that she has her dialogue. That's really neat. So do you have... And I love her. She's great. She couldn't be cooler. And she's one of the hardest working actresses that, I mean, she just, she takes it so seriously and really wants to be, you know, the best of whatever it is she's doing. It's, it sounds like you have a very busy plate. Do you, what drives you? What, uh, what keeps you going? Um, I, I think that the successes along the way have kept me going. I think if I hadn't really booked a job, like the, like I started, my first job ever was Silence of the Lambs. Right. Be a dead body. And that got me my SAG card. Well, it turned into such the phenomenon. Then I think those kind of little bits along the way were really cool and made me know that people liked me and would hire me. And also I, I've been very fortunate, which is why I'm, kind of based more in New York than LA at the moment that I've been here. So I have a good reputation. So I get good auditions. The casting people kind of root for me. And I don't mean that like egocentrically, I'm just Mm -hmm. saying they know me and they know I'll give a good audition. So I think it's that kind of stuff along the way that has always kept me uh, wanting to do it. And then kidnap was clearly like, Oh boy, (laughs) Because it is the next level of my career and of jobs. And it has Mm -hmm. changed the kind of auditions that I've gotten and the jobs that I've gone up for and the people that I'm auditioning against, you know, have a bigger reputation, et cetera. So I think those are the things that keep me driven. I love the business. I love theater. I love film. I love TV. I just, I really just love it. And I never considered leaving it. I'm really glad. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I always was trying to figure out how to be the, as I say, working actor and survive around it because I really never thought about leaving it. I just always loved it and wanted to do it and just was believed that also as I got older, everyone would always say, oh, you look young for your age. And as you get older, you're going to come into your own. And whether that's true or not, or people were just, you know, saying things, <laughs> I, always, <laughs> I always hung on to that as well to say, you know, well, great. Then let me work at 80. Let me work at 90. Let me work <laughs> yeah. at 70, 60. You know, that's cool with me. There's, um, like, as you were saying, you know, the hard, hard, being a hard worker and coming from that uh, New York scene and where it's real gritty and stuff. I, I think that's what I was trying to say earlier is like the, the average movie goer, you know, normal person, they, they can see that 
uh, hardworking mentality in people because they live it every day. And I think, you know, you see that in your work in Kidnap and, and some of these other background roles that you're in. And uh, you're, you just mentioned Silent of the Lambs. And, uh, you know, personally, I feel like that scene that you're in, you know, it, as little as it is, it, it, it defines the movie because it, it shows through you, you see what the characters are dealing with. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. And I, I hate bugs, so I don't know how you did it. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you that in a minute, but I can say thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, it was very cool when I did the movie because it was like the first thing I'd ever done. And then Jonathan Demi, oh, I love the late, great Jonathan Demi. Um, he had said um, after we filmed the movie, he did an interview with Jody in a magazine and a couple of them. And in both of them, they had asked them like favorite parts of making the movie. And he mentioned my scene. And I was like, Oh my God, wait a minute. That's, that's my, you know, it was so weird because it was like the first thing. And I knew that they were cool and we had time, but they were saying that kind of what you said, which is great, that it was so real to them. And then having a real person be her first dead body experience, et cetera, was just, they just found that so powerful for the film. And it made me really obviously happy and honored that that's how they felt. Now I can tell you about the bug, which was, uh, <laughs> when, uh, they had one out of plastic, but then they told me that when we were filming, I went there for prep. I did like three months of prep of makeup and testing and all that to for when we were going to shoot the actual week of the film in Pittsburgh. And then when I came to set, they said they, the cocoon is actually plastic, but we've made one of Tootsie Roll. So in case you choke, it will melt. And I said, I'll be dead before this melts. <laughs> if I choke, to which they all laughed hysterically. And um, so one of them was a piece of plastic that they shot some film scenes with. And then one of them was made of Tootsie Roll, which, you know, tasted good, but definitely wasn't like melting in my throat. Yeah, that was my uh, listen. When I got that movie, I was so excited. I said yes to anything. They would call me every like every week they would call and say, um, we think we want to pull you naked out of the river. Is that okay with you? And I'd be like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, then they called the next week and they said, we've changed our mind. We're thinking we're going to open a morgue drawer and pull you out. Can we do that? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I, I just was so freaked out by the whole experience of getting it that I just said yes to everything that they asked me. And so I was, a, you know, it was just a funny experience. But um, thank you. I really appreciate that about um, I would also say to give credit, I'm not exactly sure where you guys are based, but I'm from the Midwest originally. Mm -hmm. So St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. I think that has a little to do with it also, because, you know, I I was on my own and I went to college and from college I moved to New York a week later and. I didn't know people. I didn't go to the big schools. I really just pushed my, I came with a couple friends to New York, but I really um, just pursued it the real way. And I think that has something to do with it. You know, it's like, 
it's like Roseanne being a hit again to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that people like that working class thing. They like that, that real honesty. You know, she was a, she was a housewife who became a stand-up comedian and they ended up giving her a show. It's not like she was a stand-up, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's the same premise with me. And I think there are fewer character actresses and act. There are a lot of actors, men, I think, more men than women in the sense that get opportunities. And I think that the business is trying to kind of branch out into showing more rounded, you know, people. Be more diverse in a sense that that way. Yeah, exactly. And even when, you know, when Hallie going back to kidnap, um, when Hallie bought the script, you know, or her production company decided they were making the movie, they made my role, the lead role uh, opposite, you know, with Lou, Lou, um, you know, obviously had a great resume and was really great, but they wanted it to be woman on woman. They wanted him to be there and he was another kidnapper, but they wanted me to be the brains. They want, she wanted it very much to be that, you know, woman antagonist. And so I think that's cool in that way. They're trying to look of ways to branch out, you know, and uh, create more kinds of work that way. and more diversity on screen. Yeah. You know, everyone doesn't look like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and Reese Witherspoon and I love them and I think they're great, but there's definitely certain type <laughs> yeah you know that hollywood goes for i, I think um, i think that's why my uh family loves it so much is you know the you know average people can see something as fun as kidnap as a you know a popcorn movie and and uh really see the hard work in in something like that and and just love it for what it is that's great i love that i, I felt the same way i felt it when i read it and i and i felt like um, I knew, you know, you don't ever know for sure if you're going to get something, but mm -hmm. I just really, when I read it from the beginning, I thought, wow, I get her, I get her, I can play her. I think, you know, <laughs> they had done what they call pre-press kits where they interviewed us for stuff for the movie. And they asked me, you know, how would I describe her? And I said, well, I think she's just misunderstood. And they started laughing. And I said, no, I mean it in the sense that she, she didn't really mean to get off on this path. It just happened. And you know what I mean? And she, she was stuck and, and he was stuck and they got stuck in a job that, that threw them a lot of money. And so they were trying in essence to, um, you know, make their life better, you know? And I think that people relate to that, not to go be criminals, but yeah, I think that the hard times. Exactly. Exactly. And when they they wanted the movie to look like anywhere south, you know, they didn't want it to necessarily be defined as New Orleans or defined as a certain city. They wanted it to be that whole thing that this could happen anywhere. I mean, you're right. Any mom is going to do whatever they can mm -hmm. to save their child. And so that was the premise. So you, so you were saying you're, you're, you live in New York. Do you live in New York currently? I do live in New York. And then I uh, go back and forth to, to L.A. for work or wherever the work takes me. So are you a fan of the best baseball team in the world? The Yankees? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was afraid you might say the best. but <laughs> <laughs> Or the what? Red Sox. God forbid oh, no. that would be no, worse. We don't, we don't I talk about am that a guy 
part, I'll tell you, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. And I'll tell you how it came to pass. Long story short is I grew up on baseball. From when I was five or six years old, my dad had turned me on to baseball and the Cardinals were a big deal in St. Louis. So whenever I had like $2, literally I could get on a bus with 50 cents each way and a dollar to get into the bleacher seats and go see the Cardinals. Come on. Truly, truly. So I would see like 30 or 40 games, you know, home games a year. Um, because I just wanted to go to the baseball game. I'd go by myself. I was like eight and nine years old and I was getting on the bus going down to Bush stadium. So cut to, I moved to New York city and I'm there and the Mets won like the first year or two I lived in New York, they won the world series. So that was kind of cool for them. And I was happy for them. And I thought, Oh, I live in New York. So that's fun. And I really didn't follow the Cardinals because I, it's hard to follow them when you live in New York City. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Torre became the manager of the Yankees. And Joe Torre and Orlando Cepeda were two of my favorite baseball players 100 years ago. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's Joe Torre. So then I became a Yankee fan. That totally just turned me to the Yankees. And then the core four. And, yes, I'm a diehard. A die. Were you there when uh, Jeter retired? Did you go to any of those games? I went to Mariano's retirement. I didn't go to Jeter's, but I was actually at the game where Mariano retired and Metallica played live. <laughs> and that's amazing. They... I just said that's amazing. I'm sorry. Um, but I didn't make it to Jeter's. But yes, I did go to Moe's because I love Mo as well. And um, I was there. A cool thing. For Yankee trivia. I was there the day after Jeter went flying into the stands. Remember on July 2nd? Was it the, like a foul ball catch, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was a, it was, well, it was a foul ball, but it ended up being an out. He caught it and went flying into the stands. And when they pulled him out, his face was all bloody and he was kind of a wreck. And my friend and I had tickets for the next night. So we went early so that we could see if he would be there. And he was walking around with like the scratches on his face, like giving autographs and talking to people because they, if you got there early, you would get to go down like in the uh, box seats and, you know, see them play and do their warm up and stuff like that. And so we were like, oh my God, we're so excited. We're seeing the day after Jeter was like injured and his face was like all scratched up. So that was a, a claim to fame, but I never caught a ball, almost caught a ball once and a foul ball. Derek Jeter hit and I was, uh, it came at me so fast with my friend, (laughs) same friend that we kind of ran from it (laughs) 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 to it. We were like, Oh my God, we're going to get hit. We sort of dodged away and someone else got the ball. Are you, uh, how often are you getting to see games nowadays? Um, I try to go, you know, like once a month or every, you know, few weeks. They're here like every couple weeks. Right. And I haven't made it to my first game yet, unfortunately. But um, for this, because I've been busy. But normally I'm, you know, I'm at least a half a dozen to ten home games a year, you know. And sometimes I love the Old Timers Day game is a blast. I just, I really love I love the Yankees. I had kind of um, 
I was mixed last year. I wanted them to win and I really liked them and I thought they were a great team. And then I wasn't sure about this year because they got all the youngins. But they've really got me to like them. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty glad they went young because we had a lot of we had a lot of um, not so young guys in our team last year. So it was I kind of liked the way they were going. I think they figured out it was really the way to go. And it really has been a smart way for the team to kind of take off, you know, and enjoy themselves. So I do think it's a great thing. I just, um, I was, I was sad they didn't get to make it all the way last year. And I was kind of pissed off when they got rid of Girardi at first because I felt like, God, he got them all that way. But then they kind of confessed that they were going to uh, get rid of him whether they won or they didn't win. So it really wasn't about not making it to the World Series. They felt that he had done his tenure, you know? I think, anyway, people, a lot of people wrote us out anyway last year. They didn't think they were, we were going to get that far to begin with. So where are you all based? Are you based in New York? Uh, we're actually based in, uh, we're on the East Coast, but we're kind of like six hours away, seven hours away from New York. We're in Virginia. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. But you're still a Yankee fan. Right, right, right. The best best team in the world. It's funny because Chris Hawk has lived in Connecticut for a while. So it's like, you know, Connecticut, I don't know if Connecticut really has a team, but I, I feel like they'd root for the Red Sox in that area. So well, they it, do, actually. I mean, the Connecticut audience that I know of is very mixed. They're either Yankee or they're Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Depends on, you know, where they're traveling to, I guess. But um, I know, like, the Yes Network is Yankee-based, and it obviously includes Connecticut. But there are those diehard uh, Connecticut uh, people who (laughs) think the Red Sox are the better team. I was thrilled. I really was thrilled to see them get three of four this time, (laughs) you know, this last round. Yeah. I thought, okay, we, we can do it now. If we can beat them after they, I think they got, didn't they get sweep us in the first Red Sox series up there? I so, believe so. So when they came here and they got three or four and we could kind of put them in their place, I thought, oh, okay, we can hold our own. Because I could tell last year when we went to the Astros, I thought this ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be as positive as I could, but you could just see that they weren't matched. They couldn't play them. At home, at home are great. Exactly. And then to play them this time, this season, you know, so far, and to same thing, three or four, I think it was. Like, oh, my God, we have a team. <laughs> we have a team that can stick through. My, my family, uh, I didn't really grow up a baseball fan, and my family wasn't really into baseball, but it, it was a big deal when we went to go see the Yankees old stadium. Uh, it's like oh, yeah. we had to make a trip. We had to make a trip to go up there. Uh, my dad took me and my brother, and uh, I think it was like a year or two before they uh, tore it down. Right. But that was a that was a really cool experience just to see that because of, it's like going to Madison Square Garden. Uh, that's a big area too. Yeah, exactly. They are monuments, and I can tell you when I went the first my first game after in the new stadium was an old timers game. And I was kind of in shock because I had gone for so many years to Yankee stadium, the old one, and it was so different, you know, 
I, I knew the pillars, I knew the ramps, I knew the way my way around the old one. And then you go to the new one and it really is, it's nice and clean and it's got the museums and it's got all these pictures everywhere. And it just was a whole different feel, the new stadium, but I've grown to, you know, love it because it's their stadium. But the old one really had that mystique. I loved all the pomp and circumstance when they kind of moved from one to the other and won the World Series to kind of move it. So that was cool. Yeah, the old one definitely had that aura to it. That was, it's like a legend, legendary almost. Exactly. Just like you said, like going to Madison Square Garden. I saw you two in Madison Square Garden and it was, I went with a friend of mine and we kept laughing because it was kind of like, it felt like a spiritual experience, but it also felt like some sort of like love orgy where if he said, you know, all right, everybody just jump. Yeah. He would have just gone right over the edge. <laughs> Whatever you part the term, the edge. Uh, going over the edge, you know, for the edge and Bono, it was like, oh my God, it was, it's a, it's an amazing experience to be at Madison Square Garden. I love it there. I agree with you. The New York monuments. So with the, you know, Avengers and Marvel, they're, they're juggernauts right now, juggernauts. And, uh, you worked with an Avenger, you worked with an X-Men, uh, <laughs> I technically you're part of the the Marvel uh, universe being in Jessica Jones. I uh, well, I I like that. That all sounds good to me. I think you should get a little uh, you get a little cheddar. I think you know. <laughs> uh, well, well, I get a little cheddar when it goes to uh, rentals and DVDs. But uh, um, my I had a blast with Kristen Ritter. She was really cool, and it was exciting to be on there you know, on the TV aspect of Jessica Jones. And, um, you know, couldn't have been more fun to do it. I'd love to go back. <laughs> they have a, a season three, so a we'll hint. see. Hint, Never hint. Know. <laughs> exactly. Season three, who knows? But I had a blast. <laughs> it was really fun. And she could not have been cooler. She was really a very cool lady. And uh, they all were having a blast on the set, I have to say. They had a lot of fun. Is, is it so funny love, when oh, actors go play? Go ahead, Chris Hawk. Like uh, how Kristen Ritter is nothing like Jessica Jones. She's she's bubbly. You know, she doesn't have the same type of voice cadence that Jessica Jones has. Is it is that pretty funny to see that transformation and just how drastically different Kristen Ritter is from Jessica Jones and the like and how, you know, you're completely different from the kidnap villain. It just it's it's funny. Isn't that just kind of. Like, a, I don't, I'm, it's, it's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I, I love it because it shows your versatility. I have to say with Kristen, my experience, she was really cool and friendly and fun. She really tried to stay in character. I think she takes that character, like, around the set pretty seriously. I mean, That's she's amazing. fun. She laughs and people like her. But she was definitely not, like, popping out. I would pop out of Margot. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe maybe because it was so dark or maybe because I felt like I knew her so well that um, I, you know, they would yell cut and, you know, I could go laugh and kind of do my thing and then go back and take a few seconds before we'd start again. She pretty much stayed in that place when I was around. But it is, I mean, I think it's a testament. Listen, when I did, uh, as you mentioned um, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was around, um, 
my stuff with him for Schenectady, New York, which was a blast with him and Michelle Williams. He was the same way. He stayed in character. I mean, a lot of these people that I have met, Sean Penn, when I did Sweet and Low Down, Woody Allen's movie, he was the same way. They kind of stay in that mood when they're filming because you're going to do so many takes. And I don't think you want to step in, step out, you know, be laughing, go get craft services. You're doing something for a matter of hours at a time. And that the more you're in it, the easier it is to just keep doing it over and over again, you know, for this close up and that close up and all these different shots. You, you said you're a big fan of uh, filmmaking and television stuff. And then, and that's kind of what drove you into the, the uh, industry. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite movies? What is, what's some of your favorites that maybe influenced you or, or, um, some of your favorite shows or we just did a episode recently where we talked about some of our favorite movies. So we're kind of still on the, what's your favorite question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, my favorite movies are pretty wildly diverse. I, um, there's a movie, a touch of class, which is one of my, oh, I just loved it. As far as like acting and relationship, it's Glenda Jackson and George Siegel. It's an old classic. I really loved it. Um, I just, the, it, it moved me as an actress. I thought, oh, that's the kind of part I want to play. Um, because it had so many layers to her. It was funny. It was sad. You know, they got angry. There were, you know, all these different colors going on. Um, but then I also, like, I loved Arthur. Like, the first Arthur. I thought Dudley Moore was brilliant and Sir John Gilgood made me laugh my ass off. Now, um, I wouldn't go for the second one. <laughs> the remake? Yeah, well, not even the remake with Russell Brand, but they did a sequel to Arthur and he just seemed kind of like a sad, tired drunk in the second one. It wasn't <laughs> as funny and, and fun, you know? So I was kind of bummed on that aspect. But I like... Um, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show as far as like, I think Tim Curry is brilliant in that. I love, um, I love, I, I have a tendency sometimes, like I loved Ordinary People as a movie. I loved Kramer versus Kramer, that whole, you know, genre in there. I thought those were great movies. I, I'm trying to think of newer movies that I really love. Um, I have a tendency to fall for the actor. Like I thought that Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs was genius and not because I was there and in it. Frankly, I didn't actually meet him there, Mm -hmm. but I just thought, I thought the layers of his performance blew me away. The fact that, as I would always say, he was just, um, he was like a bad guy who happened to eat people's faces. You know what I mean? That's how he sort of played it. <laughs> yeah. With the, with the comedic edge. And um, I'm trying to think of what else. Other movies. Have um, you ever um, have you ever seen Rocky Horror in, in like the uh, the theaters when they uh, reenacted and, and uh, people yeah. go on stage? I have. I went to one of those midnight showings in the village many years ago when they had it in New York and you could watch them 
throw rice and sing the songs and do the time warp. And yeah, <laughs> it's fun. But, um, it's one of those movies where if I'm turning channels and it's on TV and he's there, I, it's so hard for me to turn away because I just think he's so amazing in that movie. Just really like, I mean, I love the whole movie, but I think he was so layered. You know what I mean? For all the, for the character and how outrageous it is, he was just so real and so human and, and sexy and funny. And I just really was blown away by it. He's, he's like a human Cheshire, Cheshire cat. That's what he's like. Mis- mischievous. He's, you know, he's everything funny, dark. Yeah. What were your favorite movies? what did you guys say? What were some of them? Uh, Star Wars, uh, Predator, oh. Aliens. Um, for me, and uh, I like Su- Superman and Spider Man, the uh, Sam Raimi movies. Oh, cool! And um, a bunch of stuff. Like I-, I like John Carter. Not a lot of people like that movie. Uh, so you like big movies? Yeah, yeah. I- I- anything, anything that's actiony or anything that's just Fun to go see. I I I, I like uh, Die Hard stuff like that. And Kidnap is almost like a Die Hard if you think about it. Like yeah, I love Die Hard movies. I thought they were great. I, I like the big movies too. I saw the Star Wars. You know, I was into the Star Wars. I saw the. Um, I have to be honest. I haven't gotten into the Avengers thing yet. <laughs> I love Robert Downey Jr. And I know I should jump on the train, and I plan to. But um, I kind of I think it was the saturation of superhero superhero movies that I was kind of like, I don't care. But um, (laughs) but I love him and I love those people. And there's a great if you love the Avengers. I don't know if you saw the James Corden sketch that he did. Did you see he took the cast of the Avengers on a tour bus? Oh yes, I seen that. I seen that. (laughs) Great video makes me laugh, and um, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I'm. I like. I'm pretty diverse in my movie tastes. I have to say, I saw Get Out, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I really loved it. I'd heard all the people talk about it, and I wasn't really sure what I would think because I thought, oh, maybe it's overhyped. And then I saw it, and I just loved it thought it was so smart and well done and had so many different layers going on in the, um, you know, storyline, you know, yeah. to be a horror movie. And, and I just, I was really impressed. Yeah. That, that was my movie of 2017. I thought it was just fantastic through and through. Yeah. I, um, I, I try to be diverse in my taste. I like, you know? I like old movies too, like uh, Yankee doodle dandy. I really like that movie. And uh, Wonderful Life, of course. Yeah. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, tombst- tombstone's old. <laughs> it's a Western, so. I, I fell for all these movies, I think, in the 70s and 80s, you know, that when I was a kid, you know, when I think of them, I think. And, and listen, who doesn't love, like, The Godfather and Goodfellas and, you know, that whole line of movies? Oh yeah, that's Chris um, Hawk right there. I love those movies. 
And um, Fisher King, which uh, my friend Richard Lugravenez is a friend of mine. We were all part of our acting class crew together. And he wrote Fisher King, which I just loved. I thought the premise and loved Robin Williams, loved Jeff Bridges, and everything he does. I think he's great. And so I have a tendency to vegetate to the actor that I like, you know, or mm-hmm. actress. And then I'll think, oh, I want to see that movie because they're in it. I know another movie I love is um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. My goodness. That's that's a that's almost a masterpiece. I think it, I think it is. Agree. And a couple of years ago, they had it as a retrospect at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. So I went to see it again on a big screen. And then they had some people talk about it after which was really interesting because it wasn't like Charlie Kaufman or any people from the movie. It was actually people to talk about your brain and how your brain works and memories work and stuff like that. So it was really an interesting Q and a after, uh, but I just think that is such a beautiful, beautiful movie. So well done. And I just, and I love, you know, one of the best things I've ever seen Jim Carrey do for sure. But, you know, I love, Kate Winslet. So those are my, my diverse tastes. <laughs> so do you have a uh, dream role? Um, I would say I would love to do something like Virginia Woolf. Who's afraid mm-hmm. of Virginia Woolf. I like, um, I like layers. I know I keep using that word, but right. for me, as an actor, actress, I feel like when I coach somebody, if they are really funny, then I don't have to work on that. Then I'm going to bring up the more serious side of them and kind of vice versa. And for me, like Virginia Woolf, um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is such a thing of um, the layers of the anger and the love and the, you know, the duality of her, I just think is amazing. I was really jealous when they brought Misery to the stage and Laurie Metcalf, who's obviously a wonderful actress and um, with a good reputation and a big reputation, got to go to Broadway because I thought, oh, everyone tells me I'm Kathy Bates type and I would love to have done something like that as well. I mm-hmm. like the dark things because I think I'm not afraid to do them and bring some humanity to them. So those are kind of... I'm hoping there are more roles out there that I haven't seen <laughs> mm-hmm. that are are given to me, like Kidnap, where I can bring some uh, layers to them. I got a movie idea. We're gonna we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna make a, a female western, and and what's gonna happen is she's gonna be fighting vampires and werewolves, <laughs> and you're going to be you're gonna be the U.S. Marshal, who's the mentor of the main character. The, the female who you have to train to fight the werewolves. Hey, I think that sounds fab. I love that. <laughs> and we'll just get Halle Berry in it again. You guys were reunited. Boom. I would love that. Oh, my God. It sounds a little like, did you watch Stephen Colbert last night? Yeah. <laughs> With his kid movie. Mm-hmm. The kids creating a, their new pitch for a TV series. And that sounds a little... Like that, we'll borrow it. I think it's great. <laughs> I I want to be like, you know, badass women who, um, you know, who can hold their own. I mean, I don't mind being sweet and nice, and that's cool, too. And I know how to do it. But um, 
I like I like the earthier things. Yeah. It's more challenging than, you know, the waitress and the nurse and the, you know, can I get you another coffee before I bring you your check kind of rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know pretty well. <laughs> so we don't want to keep you all day. Um I think Chris Hawk, do you have any more questions for Chris? Uh, one last question. Sure. Well, so you uh, listed meditation as one of your hobbies. What what kind of meditation do you do? Is it like a prayer or a Zen type yoga, hot yoga even? Oh, God, hot yoga. <laughs> I'm not a hot yoga girl. I'm afraid I'll throw up in a hot yoga class. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm qualified for hot yoga. Um, for me, the meditation is really, um, it's not really a stylized meditation. I've done like the Deepak Chopra, Oprah things, you know, mm-hmm. where they're offering you a formal way to meditate. For me, it also is uh, communing with nature. It's a, um, a practice of um, silence in the morning and silence in the evening for, you know, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes, however it starts out, just to just be quiet, to center, to listen, to, um, to get grounded. That's really what it's about for me. It's not like I have to run to every yoga class. I'm not as formalized as that. Maybe I should be, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would, you know, and it would help in the discipline of it all, mm-hmm. but it's really, um, a little more, I guess that's why I call it more a hobby because it is something that, um, I don't feel like it's a have to, you know, like a structure and instruction. I feel it's a want to, it's something that helps to keep me kind of peaceful and grounded in the New York center and also, okay, whether I'm getting a job or not getting a job. (laughs) Does that answer your question? It it does. Because I I think, the meditation I've been trying to find lately is it's, I can't do the silent type thing. I'm a very, I'm like an overactive ADD type person. So I'm always got to be moving. So I, when I go for my runs, that's my meditation. It's like a physical activity. I just lose myself in. So it's, it's very neat to see how other people do their types of meditation. Yeah. And I think, I, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with yoga and classes and I think all that's great. You know, mm-hmm. people, and I used to think, I thought spinning meant you stood and spun yourself around. I didn't know. <laughs> when my friend used to say, I'm going to a spin class, I thought, that's such a weird thing to do. When I get dizzy, that wouldn't work for me. And then I it was a bike. And I was like, how come they don't call it biking? Why don't they call it spinning? And so I think it's, I think that it's whatever way brings you peace and calm that is the way to go. You know, I'm all about, for me and everyone I know, the uniqueness of you. What makes you work? What makes you tick? What calms you down? What shows you off? You know, that's really what I work on as an actress to coach people. It's really kind of my um, my mantra is um, being my best self, not trying to be Kathy Bates or, you know, Rosie O'Donnell or Melissa McCarthy. Because this business types you into that. You're, I think it's great. Like, guys, your uniqueness of your show, of your of your podcast, it's not about having to copy anyone else. It's what are your voices, you know? 
What do you want to say? We appreciate think, that. Yeah, that's thank you so much. For sure. Thank you. Oh my God. It's been a pleasure. I've loved hanging with you guys. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. We, uh, where can, if people want to look you up, where can they go to find you? Um, I'm on Facebook under Chris McGinn. I'm on Instagram under Chris M. McGinn. You'll find me in, um, you know, the picture blurbs. And then I'm also on Twitter. So you can find me there. I also, I try to tell people in case they don't know, although you're um, podcast is geared more for film and so people probably do that imdb.com which is internet movie database mm-hmm. um, imdb the free version is a great place for finding me or anybody you can look up a movie you can see who's in it you can see who directed it you can check out the you know people who worked on it i just think they do it for tv as well um, it doesn't so much have theater credits there, but I think it's a great place and you can always see like what somebody's working on. So they'll say, you know, I have a project in pre-production. Like I worked on a movie, Ode to Joy, that has Martin McDonough and Morena Baccarin, and it's in pre-production right now. I mean, uh, sorry, post-production, meaning at the end, they're pulling it together to put it out. And so those are the kind of the places you can find me. <laughs> and I think it's a great way with the IMDb as well as the other social medias to, um, you know, have a free version of learning more about the business. Could you imagine discovering IMDb like right this instant? <laughs> if someone if like, Oh my goodness. But I, but it's true when you think about like middle American places like that. I mean, I have, I have friends and I'll say, Oh, well, you can look me up. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know. You know, they just don't know if you, if you know film and you know theater, then you know it's there. I think when people are just, you know, watching TV or finding a film, they don't necessarily think about how do I find that actor or that cast? You know, they just go to Google. Yeah, it's a great tool. It's I think it, it's helped me find movies that I've forgotten, you know, put a face to a name. It's It's a wonderful tool. I've used it a lot also in coaching in the sense of like an actor's trying to figure out their type because as much as I want to be unique, I'm going to go for certain jobs and I'm going to be a certain type and you have to know where somebody's going to want to put you in the business. And it's great to look up like a certain actor's career, you know, and say, okay, well, I'm a Kathy Bates type. What kind of stuff is she done? You know, what is her range? And then you look and you get ideas of your own, not that you have to copy hers, but I think it's a great, you know, brainstorming tool for all those reasons. We also talk about uh, video games and stuff too sometimes. And on your IMDb, it says that you were in uh, Grand Theft Auto. Is that true? I did. I did uh, the motion capture for it. Really? Yeah, I got to do a few days of the motion capture and have the dots attached to me and the rubber suit. And oh my God, it was a blast. And and of course, I played a man because (laughs) (laughs) I was a man because I was the bigger, (laughs) taller woman. And so they had me there that I was they said I hope she's not gonna mind if she's gonna end up being a man in the in the in the game and I was like I could care less (laughs) just hire me and let me work it'll be fun but that was a blast that was really fun 
I mean, those are the reasons I think, like you say, why am I in it? I'm in it because of all these fun new jobs. I did a job on War Games, um, and War Games is a video game that they are turning into live actors as opposed to live action. It's mm -hmm. actors actually playing the characters of the video game. So they're bringing like the video game to life. It started in England. And um, so I got to do a part on that and that was fun. I mean, I thought it's a, it's a cool, cool little new thing, you know, new ways that you can work in the business. So that's what keeps me moving. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool. Look out for uh, war games, all the gamers out there. Yeah, um, for sure. We thank you, Chris, again. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a part of the podcast with us for this episode. That was, it was fun talking to you and, and uh, getting to know you and just, you know, being casual, as we said, and, and uh, talking about all the, all the cool things that you like. And it was fun. Well, thank you. It was a blast for me, too. And casual is my middle name, as you can tell. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty low-key in that way. I loved you guys, and I can't wait to uh, post this up on my info and social media mm -hmm. for everybody to listen to and get to know you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk again soon, hopefully. Yep, absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you. So I think Chris McGinn, McGinn said it correctly where be your best self. And I think that's a great mantra for this episode, for just in general, for life. And I think it really is, it could be a great, it's a great motto. So as always from us at Cinema 7, we want to thank you always for watching with us. We want to thank you always for listening with us. And we want to thank you always for exploring with us.
Pacas. <risa>